Hey everyone, this is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford. In today's episode, we are bringing you the state of the roster. I am joined by two great guests today. The first is JT Morgan. JT, how's your offseason been? Uh, very busy. Well, glad to hear it. And, you know, it's it, it, it was weird kind of coming off of the high of postseason baseball in a year that we weren't even sure there was going to be baseball. And now we get to experience a somewhat normal offseason. There's no winter meetings, uh, but free agents are starting to be signed. Trades are starting to be made. And uh, a somewhat normal offseason. We're getting back closer, back to normal in terms of the baseball world. And I'm also joined by Jim Turvey. And, and Jim, I know you've had a bit of a turbulent offseason after what you wrote about uh, Brandon Lau on DRaceBay.com last week. Uh, don't worry, guys. We'll talk about that later in the show. We'll, we'll give Jim a chance to defend himself. Uh, but, but Jim, other than that, how's your offseason gone so far? It's good. It's good. I'm, I'm excited to defend that later on. Uh, one story that caught my eye is uh, Florida baseball related, albeit not uh, Tampa Bay Rays related, but Kim Main getting the GM spot for the Florida Marlins or Miami Marlins. Now I'm, I'm pretty excited to see her get the spot. I think it's, it's cool for a lot of reasons. Um, it's, it's very important to see representation at, at all levels of the sport, but I also think it's cool because she isn't a GM who's a 35 year old male Yale grad. And uh, I think that's, becoming more and more the norm and uh and Lindsay Adler's piece she she pointed out on the athletic uh how uh Kim Ng's a bit a bit more old school than a lot of the, the people getting hired right now um so I'm excited to see if she can tap into some of the the experiences she's had in this sport for for such a long time and you know Sarah's pointed out on the Rates and Barrels podcast that she's worked with uh, Major League Baseball the last couple of years to improve the Mexico to Major League Baseball pipeline so I'm curious if oh, she wow. can kind of tap into that uh, and maybe bring some of that to the Marlins. So I'm kind of an all Florida baseball fan for, for the time being, you know? Yeah, it's great. And, and the Marlins, you know, we've kind of seen what Derek Jeter has been trying to put together. Obviously, they made the postseason this year. Uh, Don Mattingly was named manager of the year. They bring in a, a new GM and it's, I don't know, really interesting to see how things are going to go and really happy for, for Kim and getting that she's she's really paid her dues in the game of baseball. So to finally get uh, that general manager role, that that's huge. So, yeah, let's keep it with Florida baseball news. Let's, let's talk about the Rays um, and some of the roster moves they've made. Like I said, this is the state of the roster. If you go back and listen to last week's episode, I had Danny Russell on. We talked about the decision to decline Charlie Morton's option. But before that, I kind of ran through all of the roster moves. We're going to go ahead and do that again um, just to kind of make sure everyone's up to date. So a bunch of players have come off the roster at the end of the season. Aaron Loop became a free agent in 2020. He had 25 innings pitched and had a 2.52 ERA, pitched in some really big innings, not only in the regular season, but in the postseason as well. Kevin Smith was waived. He only had 38 plate appearances in 2020, but he recorded a 378 on base percentage and a 135 WRC+. He passed through waivers and he has become a free agent. Mike Zanino, the Rays declined his option for 2021. Uh, I know the Rays were kind of hoping he turned things around at the plate in 2020, uh, but over 84 plate appearances only had a 65 WRC+. There's a possibility the Rays could bring him back, but he is a free agent right now as things stand. Andrew Kittredge, another guy that passed through waivers, did miss most of the 2020 season due to injury. Looks like he'll be missing 2021 as well. Um, only eight innings pitched in 2020. Going back to 2019, though, had 49 and two-thirds innings pitched in a 4.17 ERA. Uh, had 0.6 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. 
Chaz Rowe, another Rays reliever that becomes a free agent after passing through waivers. Another guy that missed most of the season with injury. Not looking great for him in 2021. But going back to 2019, at 51 innings pitched out of the bullpen for the Rays in a 4.06 ERA. He is a free agent as well. The one Rays player that did not pass through waivers was Michael Perez, who picked up more plate appearances at catcher than the, uh, for the Rays than anyone else this year. 93 plate appearances. That WRC Plus was all the way down at 35, though. Only a 237 on base percentage, 238 slugging percentage. He was claimed by the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are in kind of a rebuild, I guess you could call that. Uh, but good luck to Michael Perez. Hopefully he does great things with the Pirates. And then obviously the big one was Charlie Morton, who the Rays also declined his option as well in 2020. He had 38 innings pitched, a 474 ERA, and 0.9 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. Obviously, in 2019, he was stellar, finished third in the American League in Cy Young Award voting, and pitched in some really big games this year for the postseason, including Game 7 of the ALCS. Um, JT, I'm curious, uh, any of these names, obviously, besides Charlie Morton, that really stick out to you as you know guys that maybe the Rays might miss next year? Maybe a guy like Chaz Rowe? Not really. The Rays... Uh, we're able to deal with him missing most of this year and without options there just isn't room in the back of the bullpen right now yeah you know there was a guy that it, it, it kind of worked out he pitched some pretty good innings kind of worked himself into some high leverage spots in 2019 but a guy that you, you know they, you can definitely replace and the Rays almost kind of have replaced him um, maybe with a guy like Pete Fairbanks, another guy with a really hard slider that, that took um, a, a huge chunk of innings in both in the regular season and the postseason. Jim, what, what about you? Any of these guys that uh, the Rays might miss next year? The the name, ironically, that, that jumped out to me was Aaron Loop. But I do think that with, with a couple of guys who we're going to touch on in a little bit, um, both Poche and Beeks, you do have a couple other lefty arms that are, are likely to take that spot that, that Loop was was filling admirably in the postseason. Kind of as, as JT was saying, the, the, the back end of the bullpen is pretty crowded right now. So I, I, I don't think any of these names are going to be killers. Um, I, I'll be curious to see if, if Zunino uh, and Morton end up back in town. I, I would not be at all surprised if, if both of them do as uh, they have the, the strong Florida connections and uh, – I think even though on the Zunito end, the production hasn't been there to maybe the extent that we all wanted to see it. Um, both had, had strong postseasons and were, were definitely valuable members of the 2020 team. Yeah, talking about all those guys, the, the reason that they had to be moved off the roster, the Rays had four players they needed to bring back on the roster from the 60-day IL. Cody Reed, who was acquired in a trade from the Reds last year. Yanni Chirinos, um, who is going to have Tommy John surgery. Colin Pache. And Jalen Beeks were also having surgery, so not really sure what their outlook is for 2021. Maybe get them back towards the end of the year, but really hard to tell at this point. They did have to be they did have to be added back to the roster um, to to go into the offseason. So after all those moves were made, the Rays 40 man roster currently with 39 players on it, so there is one spot available. So uh, JT, I, I really want to ask you: There's one open spot now. Uh, who out of all the prospects that are Rule 5 eligible for the Rays, obviously they're probably going to add more than one, but who do you think needs to be, who is the top priority to be added to the 40-man roster? Uh, right now, it's probably Josh Lowe. 
Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Josh Lowe. According to MLB.com, he is the Rays' number nine uh, free agent. The last time we got real game data from Josh Lowe was back in 2019. Obviously, no minor league baseball in 2020. Uh, but that was with Double A Montgomery, where he had 519 plate appearances, uh, a 341 on base percentage. He had 18 home runs and had a 128 WRC plus. JT, what kind of role could you see Josh Lowe playing on the on the Rays big league team in the future? Initially, it's going to be a platoon bat that could cover center field if they need it, but not if uh, we still employ Kiermaier, Margot, or Brett Phillips. Or Vidal Brujan, who you like to think or, uh, could play yeah. some innings out there, so... Yeah, I mean, in terms of where he fits into the roster, it's kind of unclear at this point. Uh, you could say that for a lot of prospects, including the guys even higher up on that list. Um, but Josh Lowe is definitely a guy that I think has a lot of value and could potentially be snagged if he isn't added to the 40-man roster. Um, Jim, do you have any thoughts on, on Taylor Walls, another guy, another middle infielder, and the Rays have a plethora of those. But Jim, do you, do you think Taylor Walls is, is a definite candidate to be added to the 40-man this offseason? It's tough. You talked about the fact that it is a position of extreme depth for the Rays, not just at the big league level, but also at the minor league level. So, I mean, at some point, the Rays are going to have to either start adding these guys or start cashing them in via trade. Walls is a guy who, obviously, the the bad is what's going to jump out to you. Um, I, I would love to see him get shot. I, I, but in, in a, it's easy to say that in a vacuum, right? And then when you say, well, who is this guy going to get the spot over is when maybe it, it's a little bit more debatable. But um, it, it's hard to tell without knowing who, uh, and I think this is maybe the, the thing we'll talk about next, but people that, that might be either trade or DFA candidates, with it as is right now with only one spot, I probably wouldn't use the one spot on him. But if the Rays carve open a couple, uh, couple other openings, uh, I think he is he's he's near the top of the list for sure. JT, what what are your thoughts on on Taylor Walls and where he kind of fits in the organization at this point? At this point, he's the immediate depth at shortstop behind uh, Willie Adamas until they decide to. Uh, bring up a uh, wander if uh <laughs> that if could something should cool. happen yeah it could very well be very early next year and jt any other I, I think josh lowe and taylor walls i would put them in the almost certainly will be added category to the 40-man roster by the uh, time the roll five deadline comes up um but what about a guy like moises gomez what do you think about him Okay, Moises Gomez is in a really tough spot. He got passed over in the Rule 5 last year, and we haven't seen what he can do yet. He wasn't at the alternate site. He's a little more raw than you would want, and he needs the time to face pitching. Yeah, and it's you've seen uh, the Rays develop, or not develop, but they've, they've acquired some really strong outfielders. I don't really know if there's a pathway to the big leagues for him yet. We Again, we still haven't seen him above high A. Uh, we don't really know how he's progressed. That's really made a lot of things difficult. Um, but obviously, Randy Rosarena, Manuel Margot, two guys they brought in last offseason that have looked really great. But other, other than those three guys, 
maybe one or two candidates that uh, could could come in and be added. I know there was a couple shot candidates the last couple of years that were added at the last second, but JTA, maybe one or two guys that, that, that might get the call. It's going to be tough because with expanded rosters this year, a lot of teams had to call up guys that might have not been quite ready yet. And how much space are teams going to have this year? It's going to be real tough, but Drew Strotman is the fourth round pick out of St. Mary's University with a big slider and curve, mid-90s fastball that has looked good in instructs this year after undergoing Tommy John surgery last year. So we'll see if they decide to go that route. They probably need to add more pitchers overall, and you could see someone like former USF closer Phoenix Sanders or Paul Campbell if they wanted needed a starter. What about a guy like Tyler Zombro? Tyler Zombro really surprised me this year because of the way he was hyped by Cash and the others during spring training 1.0. And usually when they hype those guys, it ends up like Ryan Thompson, Yep. where we had no idea. And Cash comes out and says he's going to throw important innings for us. And we had, we did not believe him one bit. Danny and I discussed this on an episode and we had no clue. And we were like, no, he's just talking up his guy. But <laughs> even in the playoffs, he threw important innings. So yeah. what do I know? Yeah, I mean, you, you could definitely see Zombro doing that as well. The, the last time we saw him, obviously, was 2019, where he pitched uh, most of the season in A Montgomery. And the numbers look really great. Um, 57 and two-thirds innings, a 187 ERA, a 2.7 XFIP, um, 8.27K per nine, only 1.09 walks per nine. Uh, this guy was really successful, and he was the year before, too, in A-ball as well. Triple A only threw five and a third inning, so you can't really draw any conclusions off of that. And a guy, a guy that, yeah, maybe they, they, they have a better look at uh, this year than, than we do without there being minor league baseball. So it'll be interesting. But to add some of those guys, the Rays are going to have to make some, some cuts or make some moves. The roster's at 39 now which means they could add one guy without losing anybody. But as we just talked about, probably going to be two, three, maybe four or five guys um, at max probably going to be added before the Rule 5 deadline. So let's talk through some of those candidates. And this is maybe some not, uh, maybe this isn't the most fun talk uh, to have because the Rays just went on a World Series run and that team isn't going to be the exact same next season. You're going to have to lose some guys. Let's start with the pitchers. I'm kind of curious to see what they do here. One name I wrote down, Edgar Garcia. Uh, he was acquired in a trade with the Philadelphia Phillies. They actually just announced who the the player to be named later was, it's, uh, Rodolfo Sanchez. Uh, but Edgar Garcia, only saw him for a few innings this year. Jim, do you think there's a chance that he is not brought back for next season? There's definitely a chance. I, I would love to get uh, a little bit of an extended look at him. Um, I know we're dealing with a team that has oodles and oodles of depth, but um, he flashed a couple things in the, in the very limited time with the, at the pro level that, that were intriguing. Um, I know our, one of our resident pitching experts here, Ian Malinowski, was, uh, was pretty intrigued with what he saw um, from the, from the very limited offering. And whenever someone piques Ian's interest, it, it hops on, a, on my radar as a, 
someone who who relies on Ian for lots of his pitching analysis. So that's a guy who I would I would love to see enough to get another shot. Um, but at the same time, I, I it probably would be understandable if um, he was moved in order to make room for someone who who um, the race front office just thought maybe was was going to be a, a more immediate contributor right now. Yeah, and another guy that kind of falls under that category is Cody Reed. The Rays acquired him from the Cincinnati Reds last season, and you've got a very, very small look at, at Cody Reed. Uh, but this is a guy that at one point they thought could make their team better. So it would be not not strange to see the Rays move on from a guy like that. Uh, but but JT, speaking on Edgar Garcia and Cody Reed, could the Rays move on from from pitchers like this knowing that just a few months ago, they went out and got them via trade? Uh, they absolutely could. They didn't trade big pieces for them. But specifically with Cody Reed, I think he's the more likely of the two to stay. And, like, he was a big-time prospect back when he was in the deal that sent uh, Johnny Cueto from uh, Cincinnati to the Royals. And... He's been relatively ineffective at the major league level, but he gets strikeouts, walks are a problem. And some of that has been as a starter, but it's looked better in relief. So we'll see how that uh, transition works out. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting. He's a left-handed pitcher. Edgar Garcia is a righty. I don't know if that makes a huge difference for either guy. Uh, but Cody Reed is, is definitely a guy that I, I, would, I would like to see more of and. And we'll see if he's, if he's back for 2021. Trevor Richards, this is an interesting one. A guy that the Rays have used as a starting pitcher and as a, a headliner or a bulk pitcher. But but Trevor Richards, you, you look at the Rays pitching staff for next season, we can talk about it more in terms of the positions of need. Uh, but Yanni Chirinos won't be there next season. Uh, at least we think he won't be. Uh, he'll, he'll miss the entire season. Uh, Brennan McKay could miss a big chunk of the season. He definitely won't be ready for opening day. And Charlie Morton hasn't been re-signed yet. So Trevor Richards, in terms of where he fits in on the opening day starting pitcher depth chart, might be a guy that's like the sixth or seventh choice at starting pitchers as a starting pitcher. So, uh, JT, what what are your thoughts on on Trevor Richards? And, and if the Rays did decide to, to non-tender him or to, or to, to move him, uh, would that, would that be beneficial to them? He's in a tough spot because he'll be out of options. So if he's not in the starting rotation or, you know, working behind an opener, I'm not sure if they can keep him on the major league roster. So it's, it's a tough spot. He's been a, pretty effective back-end starting pitcher with the Marlins and the Rays. and But without options, it's it's a tough spot for him to crack a lineup. Yeah, it almost becomes a debate, and, and, and Jim, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts to this as well, but it's almost a debate over you've got a lot of young pitchers. You've got Josh Fleming, who we saw in 2020, uh, Shane McClanahan, who we saw in the postseason, and maybe even Brent Honeywell Jr., uh, that could also be competing for those spots at the back end of the rotation. Uh, but Trevor Richards is more of a known quantity. We've seen him pitch at the big league level for a few years now, and, and we have a pretty good idea of what he can do and how he can contribute. Jim, do you think that helps his case, the fact that he's built up um, a, a little bit of a big league resume now? Yeah, I think I think Richards is an incredibly solid 
number six, seven, which has kind of been the party line uh, for Richard's um, supporters for the, for the last uh, year, year and a half that he's been with the Rays. Um, I do think, I, I'd be curious if you guys think, you kind of started to touch on it there, Brett. Do you guys think that if Richard's doesn't make his way back, is that kind of a sign that maybe the Rays are starting to be like, all right, Honeywell, this is, you're going to be used as this depth now. Is that kind of be a sign that, that they're moving towards some of these younger guys? Maybe? I, don't, I don't know if it's a sign of that. I mean, it definitely makes that a possibility. Uh, the Rays are going to need to go out and bring in at least one or two more pitchers. Uh, starting pitcher specifically, and obviously we we hope one of them is is Charlie Morton or someone of his caliber. Um, but if if they decide to to move on from Trevor Richards, I don't know if it makes a huge difference, and I don't know if it's I don't think it's a huge vote of confidence for Brent Honeywell. Again, we've never seen Brent Honeywell pitch in a major league baseball game, and we haven't seen him pitch in any game in three years now. So it's it's really hard to say. But but JT, any other thoughts on on Richards and kind of the outlook of the of the starting pitching depth if he, he if he's not back? I'm not sure if it says anything specifically about Honeywell. Honeywell likely will get a fourth option year so they can keep him in Durham and get him in a game for the first time in three years before they actually have to make any decision. I don't think they need to add as much pitching as you probably do. But, but I do think one – pitcher to go more towards Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now than the back end such as Charlie Morton has filled the last two years would be a welcome addition. Yeah, definitely. Uh, agreed there. Uh, Ryan Sheriff is the last guy on the list of pitchers that I think we can talk about. I, I don't really know how much the Rays value a guy like Ryan Sheriff. He pitched in 2020 only nine and two-thirds innings. Um, was very effective in those innings uh, and pitched a few innings in the postseason as well. Uh, this is a guy that has a little bit of experience with the St. Louis Cardinals, not a whole lot, um, can maybe provide multiple innings out of the bullpen. Uh, he's a left-handed pitcher. Uh, but other than that, I don't know. In my opinion, this feels like a guy that's that's pretty replaceable. And I'm kind of curious as to what you guys think about him. Yeah, I would I would say the same. I think Sheriff's the type of guy who we're spoiled, but the Rays are able to find these guys are kind of a dime a dozen. Um, being a lefty probably helps them a little bit, but honestly, at this point, the Rays have a pretty decent um, backlog of, of lefties that they can rely on in the spot that Fleming would likely be used. So I, I, I wouldn't mind using this, this spot here as, as an opening to, to get some of those guys maybe that we talked about earlier onto the 40 man. Um, because I, I, I have faith in the Rays front office kind of being able to dig up these guys pretty much whenever they care to. Yeah, JT, would, would Ryan Sheriff be towards the top of your personal list for non-tender candidates? He's definitely one of the pitchers most likely to not be around after this winter is over. He, the Rays got him on a minor league deal. They find these guys, and he filled a role in he was okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're not, we're not rooting for Ryan Sheriff to be cut or anything on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in terms of the state of the roster, that's kind of what his role is at this point. Um, let's move on to the infielders. Maybe some more familiar names, maybe some more beloved names. Uh, let's just focus on first base to start. So the Rays might have a decision to make this offseason. You've got G-Man Choi 
and you've got Nate Lowe. So G-Man Troy is in arbitration. I believe he'll be entering his second year. Maybe it's just his first year of arbitration. Um, and Nate Lowe, who is still going to be making league minimum for the next couple of years. And for a while, I thought that these were virtually the same player. And over the long term, maybe they still are. But from what I saw out of G-Man Troy defensively in the postseason, uh, and maybe this is just me remembering a handful of really great stretches at the bag uh, to that, that save the Rays a lot of um, outs. I don't think Nate Lowe can ever play first base at that level. For me, the decision's pretty clear of what it should be. Even if G-Man Troy costs another million dollars or something for the next season, I think that's a decision the Rays should make. And it's one that I would complain about if they don't. Um, but JT, I'm kind of curious as to as to how you feel about the debate at first base between G-Man Troy and Nate Lowe. I've long been non-committal, just like the Rays in this choice. But I've gone with keep Choi as the everyday first baseman in order to have better depth with Nate Lowe. And I think Choi is slightly better than Lowe right now. And Lowe probably has slightly more upside, but it doesn't really make it worth it to uh, have, you know, to go with the less depth option than the one that preserves the depth. Jim, I guess I'll be straight up with this. I mean, if if they this raise non-tender uh, G-Man Choi, who's going into his second year of arbitration, which would make it pretty clear unless they bring in a free agent or make a trade, uh, which is never uh, outside the realm of possibility. But if the Rays non-tender G-Man Choi, do you see it being anything other than a, a, a way to try to save money? Well, no, I, th- I think it would it would definitely be that. But at the same time, this this first base debate is one that I, I struggle a lot with. I am a pretty big Nate Lowe guy. He, he does. He's, he's interesting. He's one of the players who I'm, I feel the most difference when I watch them versus when I'm like looking behind the scenes at their statistics. Uh, looks wise, it's just, the swing isn't great. It looks really slow. It looks like it's got some holes in it, but he's, he's produced at every level. He, and I, I, I am a pretty big Nate Lowe believer, to be honest. Now that having been said, I, I love Choi too. And it's, this is kind of a head versus heart for me. Um, and I feel like I have learned in my years as, of race fandom, maybe, maybe don't, don't lean as heavily on the heart when it comes to these type of things. So I, I do think it would likely be a money saving move. And I, I do think it would uh, upset the fan base a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I actually wouldn't be, beyond devastated there'd be other moves i would be more upset about um than them deciding to go with with low over Choi because i do think jt mentioned upside i I think nate low definitely has more upside i think he's actually got a pretty high floor as well um i've liked what 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 he what he's been able to do even though like i said when you watch him it doesn't always look as pretty maybe as Choi, especially with Choi doing those splits on defense out there and basically a big cat over at first base but um I, i i wouldn't be devastated if it if 2021 is starting and, and low is the man they choose to go with at first base. Yeah, we've seen about a, over the two years that, that Nate Lowe has, has been in the big leagues off and on. Uh, we've seen about a half season, 245 plate appearances, maybe a little less than a half season's worth of plate appearances. Uh, a 106 WRC plus, 11 home runs, a 322 on base percentage. 
Uh, it hasn't been bad by any standards. Uh, obviously, you would you would you wouldn't hold it against him the fact that he hasn't gotten consistent at bats at the big league level. G Man Choi, if you're looking at his 2020, uh, did take a step back offensively in 145 plate appearances. Had a 331 on base, a 103 WRC plus, only hit three home runs. Um, but going back to 2019, where he had 19 home runs, had a 121 WRC plus. Uh, G Man Choi was a, was a very good big league hitter. Um, for, for what the Rays were, were, how they got him. It was a Brad Miller trade, what they were paying him and the position he was playing. So, yeah, it, it's one that I wouldn't be shocked if they make the decision that, that for financially and, you know, maybe they can reinvest that money elsewhere. They decide to go with Nate Lowe and they non-tender G-Man Troy or maybe they find a trade for G-Man Troy between now and then. But... My, my gut says they're going to stick with Troy, but it wouldn't shock me if, if they decide to, to go with Nate Lowe and, and move on from G-Man Troy. And that definitely would still leave the door open for maybe going after a, a potential free agent at first base. So uh, Brian O'Grady is another interesting one. Now, we really, again, haven't seen a whole lot of O'Grady at all for the Rays, I believe. Uh, I'm pulling it up now. Uh, he only had five, yeah, five plate appearances in 2020 for the Rays. They, they got him from the Reds. Um, but in my opinion, uh, this is a guy that can play a little bit infield, play a little bit outfield. The Rays definitely value that positional versatility, but a guy that could be a very, very easy cut. JT, your thoughts on, on O'Grady? Well, right now I think he probably stays because he's the next outfielder up. I mean, do you think that... Do you think the Rays definitely value his bat? And do you think that his bat is, is good enough to to contribute at the big league level consistently? I really like his bat. I don't know if it's going to be good enough for the majors, but there's an interesting discipline. Uh, you know, his uh, plate discipline is very solid. He doesn't strike out overly much. He gets his walks and he hits the ball fairly hard. Yeah, I mean, 550 slugging percentage, 126 WRC plus uh, in 2019 uh, for the Reds Triple A team. That was over 489 plate appearances. Uh, hasn't really had a given a, been given a shot yet at the big leagues. He had 48 plate appearances for the Reds in 2019, and only five plate appearances this year for the Rays. Yeah, he's definitely a guy that I would like to. Have. I mean, he's nice to have for depth. But if you look at maybe some of the guys the Rays brought in and maybe who they could bring in this offseason. I don't know. For me, again, a guy that doesn't really crack into the big league team unless there are a ton of injuries, and injuries happen. So maybe he's a guy that's worth keeping around. Another name that that might be a more beloved name is Joey Wendell, who had a very strong 2018 in his first year with the Rays, took a step back in 2019, and then really had another very solid year in 2020. Uh, he had a 116 WRC plus. He was worth one win above replacement, according to Fangraphs, and played almost every inning in the postseason. It felt like uh, throughout the month of October. The problem with Joey Wendell, though, not the problem, but the problem he might be facing is that you look at the number of prospects that are coming up, guys like Vidal Bruhan, guys like Wander Franco, and his role becomes very, very limited, I think, at that point with the Rays. You've already got Mike Brasso, who can play some third, play some second, play some first uh, against left-handed pitching. But, Jim, what do you think the outlook is for for Joey Wendell here? I think Wendell is almost the inverse of what we were talking about earlier. I think if the Rays um, 
see 2019 or sorry 2020 as as a wash for some of those those prospects i think they hold on to to wendell and and maybe move someone else at a lower level um or maybe cash in one of those chips um but if they are confident in in the fact that they're the young guys are are still on track i think he he would make sense as a as a person to to either DFA or, or look, he's got potentially some value. I don't know if they'd be able to spin spin off a trade or anything for him, but um, I, I wouldn't be shocked to to see him not in a Tampa Bay Rays uniform, as you kind of alluded to in in your little intro there. JT Joey Wendell, uh, I think he's valuable in 2021. I mean, I think the Rays would think that too. Uh, but in terms of 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 making room for these prospects that are coming up, is this a decision the Rays can push off until the middle of next year and find a way to, to manage the roster and, and keep him going into spring training? They definitely could. And at the beginning, at least, they're going to need someone that can give Adamas an off day. And he's really the only capable you know, shortstop that could fill in for a day or two. Obviously, if something major happened, there's still a Wander Franco down there. But... If you need a day, and there will be days that Adamus needs off, he needs to probably be on the roster, even though it's a little bit of an awkward fit. Yeah, and then maybe he does become a guy that you can find a way to manage the spots and, and keep him on for the rest of the offseason. And then when the time comes, maybe in 2021, hopefully in 2021, that you want to bring up a guy like Wander Franco, unless Joey Wendell is just absolutely lighting the world ablaze, Maybe you, you can you could DFA him. And again, we're not rooting for guys to be cut, uh, but we're just trying to be as straight up with this as possible. And Joey Wendell is is a is definitely a player that other teams might be interested in. Like Jim said, maybe they can spin a trade. Maybe they keep him, and maybe another team finds value in Joey Wendell, and the Rays can move him for something. Um, but interesting, and in, in a guy that I don't want to see go because of the role he played both offensively and defensively in the postseason and in the regular season as well. Um, but a guy that is kind of his, his spot on the roster is definitely more up in the air than a lot of other players. Um, outfielders. Let's start with, I've got it. We've got a big one. We can finish off this segment with, but Hunter Renfro, uh, obviously acquired in the Tommy Pham trade last year, a guy that uh, I think a lot of, uh, I, I, I really think a lot of people at D race Bay kind of thought, yeah, there's a good chance this guy ends up being a Ray at some point. The Rays were interested in him for a long time. Uh, a guy with a ton of power. Doesn't get on base a whole lot, but he but he hits for power at a 504 slugging percentage in 2018, a 49 slugging percentage in 2019. Uh, the isolated power over 250 both both years. Then comes to the Rays in 2020. Plays, uh, he was definitely more of a role player. Wasn't in the lineup every day. Doesn't get a whole lot of consistent at-bats. Still appeared in 42 games, made 139 plate appearances, but put up the worst on-base percentage of his career, the worst batting average of his career, the worst slugging percentage of his career, and ultimately just didn't have a great year. And now you can choose not to take a whole lot of stock in that with the with the year being as crazy as it was. Um, but Hunter Renfro, who's going to be in his second year of arbitration, could definitely be a guy the Rays decide to just cut loose and cut their losses with JT. What, what do you think about Hunter Renfro? I think he had a tough year and the 141 BABIP is definitely not a sustainable number. 
And it's mostly from singles that should have been there, but weren't. The power was as expected. He hit eight bombs and hit a couple in the postseason. And he's probably the one that loses out to Randy getting on fire the most. Yeah, definitely. It's not a left-handed bat. Um, and the, the defense was also another huge part of his game that was talked about when the Rays brought him in last offseason. And I haven't really looked at his defensive metrics for 2020. It didn't look all that great. And again, don't don't take a whole lot of stock into what I think about just watching him play the outfield. But he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't dominating out there. He wasn't a guy that you put in the lineup just for his defense, especially with some of the other names the Rays have on their 40-man. Um, but Jim, do you think Hunter Renfro, do you think there's any way he, he's back with the Rays next year? Well, it's interesting. I think um, when you like the number of JT reference was the the number I was going to reference was that one forty one BABIP, and and right off the bat you say obviously that can't be sustainable. And he did he honestly he had one of his better plate discipline years. He had a ten percent walk rate, the highest highest of his career. He only struck out a little bit over a quarter of the time, which which isn't going to kill you. But one thing I think is interesting that we shouldn't just entirely write off as bad luck is that I do think teams are starting to shift these big righties a little bit more. Um, if you look at his savant page, um, his, his, uh, Woba against the shift, uh, plummeted this year. Um, and I would be curious, I'd have to dig into it a little bit more. Um, but I'd be curious. It looks like he was shifted a little bit higher than ever before. I'm curious if maybe that BABIP isn't bound to go back up into the two sixties, two seventies, but is going to kind of sit down around, 210, 220 for a guy who doesn't put the ball in play in, in a way that's going to beat uh, a shift very often. So on the one hand, I, I could totally talk myself into bringing him back. Um, but on the other hand, I, I, I could see maybe this be, kind of be the beginning of the end for him. And the, well, the reason for that is you look at the, the outlook of this, the, this, the outfield right now. So out of guys that You've got a few guys that you owe money, guaranteed money. Yoshi Tsutsugo and Kevin Kiermaier. We're going to talk about Kevin Kiermaier in just a second. Um, you've got Randy Rosa-Reyna, Manuel Margot, Austin Meadows, and Brett Phillips, all on league minimum right now. They're still under team control, have not hit their arbitration years yet. Uh, Brett Phillips, though, is out of options. Not sure what that means. I know the Rays value his, his defense and, and his base running and uh, his abilities as a pinch hitter, as shown in Game 4 of the World Series. Um, but... Hunter Renfro is a guy that's in arbitration, so you're going to have to pay him the way, the way the pay scale works in Major League Baseball. But he's also a guy that you, you don't you, if you, you don't have to pay him if you don't want to. You can cut him loose before the non-tender deadline and let him become a free agent, or he definitely would still have value. But in terms of building this Rays roster, I think it's a really easy opportunity for the Rays to cut costs. And I think he's a guy that if the Rays are going to cut costs, uh, the Ray, Rays fans... Uh, would would not really lose any sleep over losing Hunter Renfro. But let's go back to a name I mentioned earlier, and then we're going to take a quick break. Um, Kevin Kiermaier, who's obviously owed money. He was on a one of the biggest extensions in team history. His name has kind of been brought up early on in this offseason as potentially a trade candidate. Uh, not, not, not any legitimate rumors yet, but Kevin Kiermaier, you look at guys like Manuel Margot and Brett Phillips who can play center field. Maybe a couple guys coming up through the pipeline like Fidel Bruhan or Greg Jones, if you look even further down the line, that can play innings in center field. We mentioned Josh Lowe earlier in this podcast. 
JT, Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, if you were, if well, you did play Rays GM in the uh, <laughs> SP Nation offseason sim. What would you do with Kevin Kiermeyer? This is a tough question because Kiermeyer is what the Rays value. He will occasionally run into one. He'll get on base. He'll he'll save all the runs in the world defensively. But his offensive value has been all over the place. In 2020, it was better than it has been. But is also a tiny sample that we'll see if that sticks. He struck out more, but he walked enough to cover that up. So I, a year ago, I expected Kiermaier to be gone this winter. Now this winter makes that a little trickier. If teams are not going to spend, can the Rays trade the two years, 26 million that's owed to Kiermaier? without having to eat a lot of the money anyway and defeating the purpose of that move. And I don't know. The closest comparable in the free agent market is going to be Jackie Bradley Jr., who is a very similar type, and he could be gotten probably for much less, but also maybe not. I don't know. Well, it comes down to, in my opinion, how many teams value Kevin Kiermaier as much as the Rays? Because obviously the Rays did uh, value him a lot. And I do think that Kevin Kiermaier, given the current outlook of the roster, definitely makes the Rays a better team. I do think they are a, a worse team without Kevin Kiermaier. But if you can move him and give a chunk of those innings, or you can maybe give all of those innings in 2021 to Manuel Margot and Brett Phillips, and then reinvest that money, that, that $11.5 million off the books in 2021 and $12 million off the books in 2022. He does have a club option for 2023 as well. If you can reinvest that money into some other positions, and we definitely know the Rays need, need to add, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, uh, I think that's a really good opportunity to do it. Again, the deal's got to be there. You definitely shouldn't move him, in my opinion, uh, just to move him because he does make the team better. Uh, Jim, I I'm curious as to what you think, though. Yeah, um, it's just kind of funny. For a 30-year-old, this wouldn't typically be the case, but I kind of think that Kevin Kiermaier is the guy who I have kind of grown to appreciate the most in the last year, and that I, I really would – I think I, I, I really would not want him going out the door. And I know this isn't stuff that we touch on on, on D-Rays Bay all the time, and it, it sometimes maybe is, is overvalued. But I think if you – win a pennant and then go into that off season and get rid of Charlie Morton and Kevin Kiermaier, who are probably the two leaders in the clubhouse. Uh, I do think that would send a message that would not be a message that you would necessarily want to send. Now the Rays have proven time and again, that they can do that. They can ship those people out. They can ship a Longoria out and they can still win, obviously. But I do think that it, it would, it would leave a bad taste in, in the mouths of both fans, but also in, in that clubhouse as a whole, where Kevin Kiermaier was a guy who in the postseason played some of his best baseball and, and is, is known as one of the leaders in the clubhouse. And, and he, he did have a good year. I, he had a, a great uh, a walk rate that I, um, those things are a little bit stickier sooner than maybe some of the other things we saw from other guys. I don't, I don't know quite the clearance to, to get to stickiness for, for a walk rate. I don't think we reached it in 2020, but it's, it's a little sooner than, than we think. And if, if he can be the type of guy who can 
get a 330 on base percentage. And then with the, the, the defense is still there, even though he's 30, I, he has had as strong a defensive year as he's had. So if they're, if they are going to move on from Morton now, hopefully they don't, but if they were to move on from Morton and Kiermaier, uh, it definitely would leave uh, a bit of a bad taste. Yeah. And Kiermaier is again, another one of those guys who from, from, uh, from the human standpoint and from the personal standpoint, it's like, He's been a somewhat polarizing figure as the one of the faces of the franchise over the last seven years. Uh, he is the longest tenured Ray, and to see him be on a team this year that was really well, maybe the most successful Ray's team in history, that was really gratifying, I think, for him and for fans who love the guy. And to see him kind of come through, and I, and I know this team, like the, the goal is still there to win a World Series. And when and, and, and if the Rays win a World Series, I'd love to see Kevin Kiermaier on that roster. Uh, with that being said, from a, from a purely baseball standpoint, again, if you're going to reinvest that money, if you trade Kiermaier, like you said, Jim, and you get, get rid of Moreland, Morton and you just replace him with, with, you know, not replace them in those exact positions, but you don't reinvest that money and really be aggressive because there's a window for the Rays to win a World Series here, that's disappointing. And I know this year the, the finances are very weird with, with COVID, and we don't really know what the budget is. I mean, we never know what the budget is, but we don't really know how the Rays are going to approach this offseason financially um, past you know all the options that were declined and the, the players that were waived. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely interesting, and uh, I guess we'll see what happens. Moves are starting to be made, and we're going to talk about where the Rays need to add this offseason. We talk about maybe what they need to cut. Um, before that, here's a quick word from our sponsors. All right, and we're back. We're going to talk a little bit about where the Rays can add this offseason. Right now, the, the biggest glaring hole in the 40-man roster is at catcher. The only player on the Rays 40-man right now, the only catcher on the Rays 40-man, is Ronaldo Hernandez, uh, who has obviously never played in a big league game. We did see him on TV this year. Uh, when he hit that home run and another, I think, a double or a triple in that intra-squad game right before the start of the season. Uh, and, and JT, you and I talked about Ronaldo before the start of the season. I, I know the Rays are going to add a catcher. Maybe they bring back Mike Zanino. Maybe they make a trade. Maybe they dip into the free the free agent market outside of Mike Zanino. But just to kind of clarify, is there any chance that Ronaldo Hernandez could be playing in the big leagues next year at any point? I think it's likely that he'll be on the major league roster at some point. He'll be, he'll start the season as the third catcher and injuries always will happen, especially a catcher that is one of the most abusive positions there is. And, and do you think Hernandez is a guy that, again, we didn't see this year, but the Rays did. He was at the alternate training site. He even spent some time on the taxi squad. Uh, but this is a guy that this year in the, in the minor leagues, would have been playing at Double A Montgomery. Probably would have gotten some time at at Triple A Durham if things were going well for him. Uh, is this a guy that maybe hurt from not being able to play in Double A AA and Triple A games this year, JT? He definitely is a guy that needed the time. Probably the most of everybody that was on the forty man roster. He was raw as a hitter, and catching was even a little more raw than you would like at this point in time, but his upside with the bat is pretty incredible. So you have to, uh, 
give him a chance at some point. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy that his first few years in the minors uh, really hit the ball well. Then he takes the jump up to the Florida State League at the high A level, and that's a big jump for a lot of uh, young players. And he struggled, uh, 299 on base percentage. The WRC Plus was still at 104, uh, but for, for a, uh, a catching prospect as highly regarded as him, that that was a step back for him, and that's something that I think a lot of Rays fans were or, were eager to see out of him this year in, in, in the minor league. So... Yeah, the Rays are going to have to add, but they've got a guy, Ronaldo Hernandez, there that they really like. Uh, they had a lot of trust in him this year. They, they obviously added him to the taxi squad. Um, but let's talk about the catching position uh, and where you guys think the Rays can pick it up. So they're probably going to have to bring in at least one guy that is a, a lock for the, for the major league roster. Then uh, maybe you add a, a couple guys on minor league contracts or non-roster invitees, and, and maybe they make the roster out of camp. Uh, Jim, I'll start with you. Catching free agents outside of JT Realmuto and like Yadier Molina, who do you like the most out of this group of, of, of catching free agents? Because a lot of them are virtually this, not the same, but in term, there's not really a, besides JT Realmuto, one that, that sticks out amongst the rest. Yeah, I think um, there's not a whole lot out there. The, the one name that maybe um, intrigues me is a Jason Castro. Um, he he has kind of that the raised vibe of raised vibe to him. He's he's had uh, I believe he he has made one of the bigger jumps in terms of uh, framing over the years. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but he's been with the Astros and Twins, um, two teams that kind of have had similar mindsets to the Rays in the past. He he's a right in my alley of a, a good plate discipline guy. He can draw walks. Um, he, he's had even a decent bit of pop in the bat. Um, in the past as well so he he strikes me as a guy who um, would be a decent fit I mean I, and honestly the other one would be Zanino I'm not the biggest Zanino guy but if it's kicking the can down the road one more year until um, there's a Ronaldo Hernandez appearance then then I, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world he he knows the staff um, he, he does have the the capacity to hit some of those those long balls and in, in key moments. And uh, we all know his defensive prowess. So those are the two guys that caught my eye. And JT, I know when you did the SB Nation offseason sim, you went out and got a catcher from the Minnesota Twins. So talk to me about that deal and how in this uh, fictional offseason, the Rays went out and acquired Mitch Garver. It was an interesting trade. At, at the beginning of the sim, I let it be known that I was looking for a catcher because I followed what the Rays did and declined the options on Zanino and Morton. So I had no catcher and it was the most reasonable deal that was uh, presented to me. And I was able to make the deal trading some pitching depth in order to make it happen. It's not something I would expect the Rays to do, but at the same time, if uh, the Twins believe in Jeffers as their catcher, who knows? Well, so the trade was, uh, for anyone that didn't read it on the site, uh, Josh Fleming, Joe Ryan, and Esteban Quiroz for Mitch Garver. So obviously Fleming pitched this year for the Rays, did pretty well. Joe Ryan uh, coming off of 2019, very solid year in the minor leagues, one of the uh, raised top pitching prospects, number nine prospect, according to MLB.com, uh, for Mitch Garver. So let's talk a little bit more. Like, You also signed Jason Castro, am I right? Yes. So 
like Jim, you you like Jason Castro. I think you have been on the Jason Castro uh, bandwagons, uh, should I say, uh, for quite some time. Garver had an amazing 2019. Uh, 365 on base, 630 slugging, 155 WRC+. plus. He is pretty solid behind the plate defensively, had 31 home runs. And again, this year, it's really hard to take stock into 2020 um, in a vacuum. You know, 23 games played, 81 plate appearances, only a 41 WRC+. plus. The defense was still there uh, for Garver, uh, but definitely a catcher that could be posed for a a huge bounce-back season. And I don't know, maybe the Rays uh, ring the, the Minnesota Twins. Maybe the powers that be read that read, read the uh, offseason sim piece on D-Rays Bay and, and give it a shot. But yeah, other than that, I don't know. Maybe uh, James McCann, uh, the, the Rays could probably get priced out of, for, for him. Uh, Kurt Suzuki's out there. I'm not the biggest fan of him. He's going to be 37 or 38 years old at this point. Uh, Wilson Ramos, old friend Wilson Ramos is out there. Uh, but personally, I would be completely fine with bringing Zanino back. I know, again, offensively, n- another poor year at the plate for him. Uh, again, but I'll go, I'll go back to postseason defense, and maybe I'm taking way too much stock into that. Uh, but Zanino was huge in the postseason defensively outside of the, the wild pitch that probably should have been stopped in Game 6 where the, the Dodgers um, tied the game uh, in, that, in that infamous sixth inning. Uh, but Mike Zanino has been really good defensively. He's still only 30 years old. He's one of the younger starting, uh, I don't want to say starting catchers, but one of the younger catching free agents out there that the Rays could bring back. And they're probably going to save a few million dollars. I don't think he's going to get four and a half again. We'll see, though. That's an interesting point. Um, let's talk about starting pitching. So we talked about it earlier in terms of how this roster is shaping up. Yanni Chirinos not going to be available for, for most likely all of 2021. Brendan McKay could miss a large chunk of 2021. Charlie Morton, his option was declined. He has not been re-signed. Now, I still think, I, I, you, I, I still somehow think that the most likely outcome is Charlie Morton re-signing with the Rays, but that is far from a sure thing at this point. He could still sign elsewhere. He could still retire. But with that, all that being said, the rotation right now is most likely Blake Snell, Tyler Glasnow, Ryan Yarbrough, Josh Fleming, and then either Shane McClanahan or Trevor Richards, maybe Brent Honeywell gets a chance if he's healthy and, and pitches some good innings at Triple A Durham. Uh, but the Rays are going to have to bring in pitchers one way or another, whether it's bringing back Charlie Morton, going out and getting an, another arm, making a trade, somehow, some way, they're going to have to bring, bring in a starting pitcher into the 40 man roster. Uh, Jim, Drew Smiley just signed for $11 million, a one year deal. Uh, with the Atlanta Braves, Robbie Ray signed a one-year deal for eight million dollars with Toronto. That's, uh, I guess, you could kind of say starting to set the starting pitching market and where pitchers are going to be valued. Drew Smiley had a pretty solid 2020, but he has had some injury issues. If it's not Charlie Morton, where would you like to see the Rays go in terms of of, of bringing pitchers in? Yeah, I think I um, am not far off from, from where JT is thinking and that maybe we don't need quite as much pitching as, as it may seem at first blush, but there are there are a few names out there that, that are interesting. I think one guy that, that really interests me um, as, I mean, I, I, it's hard to count it as bounce back when, when 2020 was kind of a wash anyway, but Brad Peacock um, is a guy who interests me. Um, 
as he, he's going to be going undergoing surgery. So maybe it would have to be one of these two year deals, get him on, on the second year of it. Um, if, if it, if it ends up being a, a more, a more serious surgery, but he's a guy who has been used in that, uh, kind of in that bulk adjacent role in Houston in years past. Um, I think he'd be, he'd be a pretty good fit and I'd love to see what, what Kyle Snyder would do with him. And then the second guy, and I'll, I'll use this as an excuse to kick over to JT because he was talking about him in the uh, in the Slack today. And it's a guy who I've always um, uh, liked quite a bit, but he, he does have some some injury flags of his own. Is uh, is Garrett Richards? You want to expound on that a little bit, JT? Is he a guy who you eyed as well? Yeah, Garrett Richards is the guy I've liked ever since he came up with the Angels. He had a couple pretty good years between 2013 and 2015, but has been injured ever since and culminated with Tommy John surgery in 2018. And this year he made a bounce, but he, you know, made his return with the Padres and was fairly effective. Uh, the velocity was back. He throws mid nineties. His slider was getting whiffs. So I think, there is a lot of good in what he could provide. And I don't think he's that far below Charlie Morton. Yeah. Okay, JT, I, I, I do want you to elaborate a little bit there. And, and I, I think I already know your, your stance, but Danny and I a week ago on the podcast were, were talking about how uh, it would be a travesty if Charlie Morton was not brought back. I think Danny, if I remember correctly, used the words fireable offense. And even though I might not go that far, um, in my opinion, you got a guy like Charlie Morton who you could have had at $15 million. And when you let him walk, uh, things a lot more things are up in the air. Um, but what's the case for, for not bringing back Charlie Morton? The case isn't great, but the whole idea is the Rays could do better with those resources and... I ultimately think Charlie Morton does settle on something with the Rays. He wants to stay in the area. He lives in Bradenton. It's his home. They'll work something out. However, there are plenty of red flags with Morton too. Like, don't get me wrong. 2019 was an amazing season. It was the career peak of Charlie Morton. He's 37 years old. And he has a long injury history of his own. So while he's been relatively healthy and with, with the Rays, and even going back to the Astros, he made most of his starts. This year, he did have the shoulder inflammation. And so that should cause some level of worry. I would, I would push back briefly against uh, a few of those things in that he, with Charlie Morton, it's really a guy who's who's a, a tale of two careers, right? He his, he sputtered around for the entire first half of his career, and since he made the move to Houston in 2017, he he really hasn't had all that many injury scares. Uh, and the and the second half of that being that because he kind of circled around the the first half of his career, he, he hasn't thrown nearly as many innings as as your typical 37 year old. Now he's still a 37 year old with a 37 year old arm. But I don't think it's quite the same as, as labeling him as a, as a normal 37-year-old. I think that's mostly true, except even with the Astros, he only averaged like 150 innings a year. 
the Rays aren't going to yep. call on him to pitch that much, except for 2019 when they needed him. He did throw almost 195. But generally, you're going to expect somewhere around 130 to 150 innings. They're good innings, but at some point, you know, you need quantity too. And I think it's a good, a fine settle for the Rays. I would hope they could find something better, but that is a tall ass too. Yeah. Um, the other guys out there, Masahiro Tanaka, um, who maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know, had gotten into a little bit of some bad blood with the Rays this year, but that probably would be left behind in, in terms of free agency. I don't expect the Rays to go out there and get Masahiro Tanaka. Uh, Trevor Bowers, the golden goose. I do not expect the Rays to be in the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes. Um, James Paxton is another interesting guy, left-handed pitcher, um, becoming a free agent uh, after playing with the New York Yankees. Any thoughts on, on James Paxton and potentially bringing him in? Oh, I like Paxton. Paxton is much in the same vein of a often injured, but when he's healthy, he's really effective. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to get, if you, if you can, you could never bank on it, but if you could aim for 150 innings out of Paxton, you look at his 2019 with the Yankees, he was a three-and-a-half win pitcher, according to fan graphs, 11.11 um, strikeouts per nine. Um, he's a little bit younger than Charlie Morton. He's only going to be 32 years old this season. Had a rough 2020, but that was only 20-and-a-third innings pitched. Uh, really can't take a whole lot of stock into that. The strikeout numbers were still great. The walk numbers were still pretty solid for a starting pitcher of his caliber, and he was a little bit unlucky in, in, in those five starts. Um, Paxton is a guy, though, that I definitely could see having a, a better market than Charlie Morton. I know the the rumors have been that Charlie Morton is drawing a lot of interest. I, there, I saw one rumor today that the Mets had been in contact with his agent. But in terms of a guy that's the most likely the Rays, because what I would hate to see is if Charlie Morton signs elsewhere and the Rays whiff on all these starting pitching free agents, uh, they could always go to the trade market. Um, but Charlie Morton, in my opinion, is a guy that is the most likely uh, to return. He's a guy that wants to pitch for your organization. He has said as much. Uh, he would love to retire a Ray. And in terms of getting something done, um, I want it to be Charlie Morton, just because I fear if they miss on him, the the replacement for him in the rotation might not be as desirable. So with that being said, uh, we're going to kind of wrap up this part. We're going to take another quick break, and then we're going to talk to our good friend Jim about his piece on DRaceBay.com last week, uh, the case for trading Brandon Lau. So right after this quick break, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. And we're back here on Raise Your Voice. Uh, Jim, Jim, Jim. Uh, you wrote an article on D-Rays Bay last week that uh, the comment section was looking pretty hot. So is Twitter. I know our, our good friend Brett Phillips on Twitter was getting blown up with notifications. Uh, this was kind of a two-part uh, article. So could this be the time to sell high on Brandon Lau? And then you wrote a subsequent article uh for Brandon Lau trades that make sense of the Rays. This is a guy uh, that received uh, some MVP votes way down the, the list. Uh, the Rays MVP of the season had somewhat of a quiet postseason, but turned it on in some big moments in the World Series and uh, is under a pretty team-friendly contract. He was signed to an extension before the start of the 2019 season, and he is under contract for, I believe, 
if my computer would load through 2026. Uh, but Jim, the case to trade Brandon Lau. And I know you're not saying when you wrote this article that the Rays should trade Brandon Lau. You just made the case for if they wanted to. But it was a little bit interesting because you've said on the podcast, and we've had this discussion a lot, that you're not the biggest Brandon Lau fan. Um, I'll, I'll just leave, leave the floor open to you here. Well, you, you set it up well. You did give it the, the context that I think it maybe some of that context slipped past some of the people uh, either on Twitter or in the, the comment section, but that's good. That's why we do the podcast to give the comments, the context to those who maybe want to skim through and, and just leave the comment at the bottom. But yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's, the, it's a must trade. He's, he's on one of the best deals in all of baseball. And I think that's the, the most immediate counter to, to, to trading Brandon Lau is it's hard to find a piece that is that valuable. And I, I, although I have been lower on Lau than others, I've also been firmly in the corner of the Rays should look to um, be looking for high ceiling players and not just trading off uh, a dollar for, for four quarters. Cause they can, even for six quarters, those dollars are, are pretty valuable when you can have a player who's a three or four war guy. My, my biggest thing is that a, I am a little bit more of a Lao skeptic than some others. Um, he did make some strides uh, in terms of his plate discipline that I looked at in the article. But again, this is a guy who, even though he's been around for three years, he's made an all-star team and he's drawn MVP votes. He only, we're only looking at a, a total of 699 plate appearances. So this isn't a guy who we have the largest sample to lock in that he's definitely going to be a high BABIP guy. And if, if, if that BABIP disappears a little bit, we're looking at uh, what could be a, a 230 season when he's got the pop to, to back up that with, with, for a decent weighted run created plus. But if the Rays can could, could look to move Lau and find, I, I don't think, I think there's maybe at most half a dozen and arguably I, I think there's really three pieces that kind of make sense as a fit to, to swap him out for. I don't think they should rule it out. And so the, some of the, the, the pieces that I, the pieces in terms of players that I looked at in terms of getting back um, any potential Lau move, there's, there's three big names to me. If you two from the Dodgers and one from the Astros, um, Will Smith, um, I think first and foremost, catcher has been a, a bugaboo for the Rays for the entirety of the franchise. Um, now there's there's some hesitations in terms of Will Smith um, not being trusted behind the, the plate as much during the postseason, but he's a guy whose bat would be above and beyond anything the Rays have ever seen from, from the catcher position. He's young, he's controllable. Um, the Rays have that depth in the middle infield in a in, in the, their minor league system and their major league system, that if they can make a four-win improvement behind the plate and swap out the four wins from Lau at second base, they're not going to be replacing with as, as crummy a replacement as you have it with the backstop. So it just would be a simple matter of allocating wins. Real real quick, Jim, I, was this a, was it this, it wasn't the exact trade, but wasn't I offered way back in our Out of the Park episodes when we were doing our raise saves, I, th- I know the Dodgers offered me Will Smith in a trade. I don't remember who the player was on the other side. Was it Brandon Lau? It might have been Randy Rosarena, actually. And a similar move where you're trading from a, a position of, of, of depth somewhat in, in acquiring a, a really solid catcher. I turned it down. Um, but it's definitely an interesting talking point. Like, you've got... 
guys that can play second base or if you just view the infield or the the infield and the outfield as, as a whole, you can not replace Brandon Lau. I don't know if there's a player in the race system besides Wander Franco who you can expect to perform at the level that Brandon Lau has the last two seasons. But, like you said, not as crummy of a replacement as you would at, at the catching position. So, yeah, I definitely think that's an interesting one. Uh, the Dodgers, though, have some have some infield depth of their own. So I don't know if they would be as incentivized to make that deal, but I, do, I definitely like the, the idea of trying to acquire Will Smith. Well, that would be the, so the, you kind of led me right, right perfectly into the next one. That would be uh, if, if the, because the, the Dodgers have Gavin Lux, who is a, a great second base prospect um, on the cusp and, and even into the, the, their major league system. And so that would just be an interesting talent challenge trade. That, that trade for me is the one that's I'm lower on loud than the rest of people and so I would see moving, moving Lau for Lux as an upgrade. I, I think I probably am, that's an uphill battle to win a lot, a lot of people over. I will we'll throw to GT at some point and he'll, that'll be the one he'll probably be the most hesitant on. But then the last one that I thought is really interesting is, um, is Kyle Tucker. Um, he's a guy who I think could fit pretty well with this race team. It may, it may lead to a domino effect because the Rays do have a pretty good outfield right now, but um He's, he's a young piece that has almost as much control. I believe he's got one less year than Lau, um, but uh, you'd be getting his, his RB or so maybe even, you know, the Rays are always flipping pieces. So maybe for RB or three, he's out the door again and it's, it's another piece coming in. But Tucker in, intrigues me as, as a guy who, who has a little bit more, more contact to his game. Um, one thing, again, I'm setting up JT to, to take down all these points one by one, but um the Rays in the postseason were a team that had the highest, uh, I mean, they, during the regular season, they had the second highest strikeout rate. In the postseason, they had the highest strikeout rate of any team to get out of the first round. It's something that, that Ben Lindbergh looked at a couple of years ago, that the, the, the contact rate, high contact rate teams, um, he was writing it about those, those Royals teams of years past, do tend to have a small bump in the postseason. Um, it makes sense when you're facing teams that now are pumping out guys, they're just throwing a 100, 100, 100, that those contact guys and the guys who can handle those tougher matchups maybe do have a little bit of an edge when it gets to that postseason. Now, you don't want to make a move entirely for the postseason, but Tucker is a guy who I see as about on par with Lau in terms of, of surplus value over the next five to six years. Um, and then if you can get that that tiny little edge in the postseason, um, that, that can be the difference. So I'll, I'll stop talking now and let you guys pick apart all, all the flaws in it, but that, that was my logic there. JT, is, 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 the, is there a world in which trading Brandon Lau this offseason is a possibility? It's always a possibility. The Rays will surprise everybody and make at least one move that you didn't see coming. <clears throat> That's pretty much guaranteed. Yeah. It's but with a player like Lau that has six years of control at good rates – it's hard to have teams value that to the way the Rays would value that. And like, I love Kyle Tucker, but that would be a hard sell for the Astros side, just because they're locked into Altuve at second base for the foreseeable future. I think he has four or five years left on his contract. Yeah. Similar to Lau. Yeah. So that makes it like a really tough, sell 
to them unless they just think Lau is so much better than Tucker. And then, like, for the Dodgers, like, there are interesting challenge trades they could make if they, if they believed in Lau. But they have to believe in Lau more than the player they're giving up. So it's always this weird back and forth that it's hard to make deals for very good players that have a ton of control. That's why we mostly see it with generally around two years left is when the Rays trade their players. Yeah, you you look at Brandon Lau and who he is, and say you know twenty nine. We we haven't seen him a full season yet. We saw him a little bit at the start at the end of 2018, 2019 scattered. He dealt with some injuries, and then twenty twenty was just a, we saw him for the full season, but it was a short season. If you kind of think that the player that Brandon Lau truly is and will be throughout the length of this contract, or at least the first few years of this contract, is somewhere in between, you're still looking at a four and a half maybe approaching five-win second baseman. And although, like you said, Jim, this is a position of depth or a position group of depth for, for the Rays that they could cash in on, second baseman like Brandon Lau don't grow on trees. And he could potentially be up, up there with DJ LeMayhew, the most valuable second baseman uh, in baseball for the next few years. So when you're the team like the Rays, who is now competing for a World Series for the next for the foreseeable future, they 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 were two games away this year. Uh, you kind of want to keep a guy that is at the top of his position that you have at such a good price, and, and I know you probably agree to that, agree, agree with that to some extent. And uh, again, I want to make sure I emphasize that you're not saying to trade Brandon Lau. You're saying. <laughs> Maybe they could potentially trade Brandon Lau, and, and like JT said, they, they the Rays make moves that that do shock everyone. I don't think trading Brandon Lau is going to be that move this year, but maybe in a couple years when he's only got uh, three or four years left on his contract. But the fact that they've got him locked up for for the next six seasons uh, makes me believe that they would be very very hesitant to to move on from him at this point. Um, but yeah, you know, I think this is a great discussion and then what is always going to be a long off season. It's fun to have discussions like this to pass the time, uh, as we wait for pitchers and catchers to report, uh, which we don't even know when that'll be with, with everything up in the air. Um, but just want to thank both JT and Jim for hopping on. Uh, they've both already put out some great content on DRaceBay.com this off season, and there's going to be plenty more where that came from as we get, uh, through the winter, Plenty of roster moves that we're going to get to talk about, some that make us happy, and probably one or two that that upset us or at least spark some debate. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you guys for listening. If you want uh, every episode from our podcast network downloaded directly to your device, make sure to subscribe to our podcast feed. There was a new hit show last week. I was a special guest on that. Usually I'm just the producer, but that was fun to hop on. And we'll have Raise Your Voice every week as well. So once again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.